Amen. Would you join me? Let's adore the King for a moment. Join me in prayer. Father, thank you that you are on the throne and that you have sent your Son, Jesus Christ, to reign now and forevermore. Lord, we declare that your government, your dominion, your reign is forever and ever and ever. And we give you praise for that. Lord, we thank you that you saved us from the wrath that is to come. And Father, we just ask now as we open the word that you would teach us by your spirit through the word. Impress it upon our hearts so that we may understand and we may know what you want for us to learn today. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Matthew chapter 24. We are going to cover, dear people, we're going to cover 10 verses today. I know it's a shock, but we are going to get there at least. Oh, I take that back, nine. Okay? So we'll get there and we will do that. We're beginning in verse 15. We spoke of this last week. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in his house. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days... Pray that your flight may not be in winter on a, or a Sabbath, for then there will be tribulation, such as not, has not been from the beginning of the world until now, no, and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved, but for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders, so as to lead, uh, so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. So, if they say to you, "Look, he is in the wilderness," do not go out. If they say, "Look, he is in the inner rooms," do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man. And wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. 1977, a book called Countdown to Rapture was published and produced. In it, Salem Kerban, who was the author, says, The stage is being set for this final world catastrophe which will culminate in the battle of Armageddon, a battle where 200 million people will die. According to Kerban, Iran was to be the principal force in the Middle East since the United States and Russia at that time had given them aid while the Shah of Iran was still in power. Because of the increased militancy and the revival of Islamic fundamentalism, this would launch immediately the battle of Armageddon And set the stage that is being set right now. And he goes on to say, based on these observations, it is my considered opinion that the time clock is now at 11.59. It's just at the corner in 1977. But what if he's wrong? Because it's 2021. 
And right now, the fastest growing Christian movement in the world is in Iran. Is in Iran right now. The one that those who began to start saying and crying out doomsday that it was going to be there because of Islamic fundamentalism rising, that Armageddon was at our door. Folks, I want you to understand something. I am preaching to you on these verses from a different viewpoint than that which you may have learned. And so I've told you before, you don't have to uh, believe what I believe, but I I am going to present something to you that is of a different stripe for you to consider and for you to study. So last week we began to understand that what I believe is the abomination of desolation, when we talked about it in verse 15, that that is a past event. It is not something that's going to occur in our future, I believe, or in the present time. I believe that it was fulfilled of the prophecies of Daniel, just as Jesus said in verse 15, this is the abomination of desolation when you see it, Spoken by the prophet Daniel, verse 15, standing in the holy place. We have to take into consideration the time and the events and the people that Jesus was talking to. And he's looking at his disciples, answering the question, when will these things take place and when will these things be? And he says, when you see it. And we find out that in Luke chapter 21, he says, what is this abomination? Well, the surrounding of Jerusalem by armies was a signal for the disciples then to leave Jerusalem. And so we see what Jesus then in verse 16 begins to tell us. And this is what he said. Get out, basically. Get out. So we see it's been fulfilled. And so we need to understand this. Get out. Y'all remember the movie? Some of you are old enough to remember this, but it was a horrific Film. It was a gross film, and we teenagers watched it when we were a kid. It was called The Amityville Horror. Some of you remember it. If you remember it, a couple bought a house that was haunted. And it was supposedly over a place in a big pit where Satan dwelled. And the house kept telling the main characters, Get out! And what did the main characters do? They stayed throughout the whole movie. I said, what is wrong with these people? You know, had I heard that the first time I would say, this is a lovely house. Get out. See you later. (laughs) Bye-bye. I'm gone. It's done. Jesus is saying to the disciples, when you see these things happening, dear folks, in this time, when you see armies surrounding Jerusalem, it is time for you to get out out. And the question we have to ask is this, is this some future event or was Jerusalem actually surrounded by armies? Absolutely they were. In AD 66 it began for three and a half years siege and we are told or have to ask the question, did Christians, Jews at that time when Jesus had said this, 40 years later, did they leave? Well, the answer is absolutely. They left. But how in the world did they leave if they were surrounded by armies? Well, there's a fella by the name of Celestius Gallus that came and he went during that time. Who was this guy? That's him right there. 
I tried to get him to smile a little bit more, but he just sat there stone-faced. Got to throw a dad joke in there. I'm sorry to keep y'all to keep y'all awake, okay? But here it is. Cestius Gallus was a general assigned to quell the Jewish rebellion in AD 66. He surrounded Jerusalem and ordered assaults on the city. But after five days, he withdrew his co- withdrew to the coast. Nobody knows why. He came with a legion of army, and the Roman legion at that time was over 6,000 soldiers. So he had around about 5,500, and then he had 500 soldiers that were cavalry soldiers. And even Josephus, the historian, says this. He had, but at this very time, attempted to get within the walls by force. He had won the city presently, but he retired from the city without any reason in the world. And it's true, when you read the histories of Rome and you read Josephus, you read Eusebius, Tacitus, it says he just left. He battered the walls for about five days and he could not take the Temple Mount. So he just said, okay, guys, let's pull back. So what happened when they pulled back? This is the point. The results were the Christian Jews knowing and heeding the warning given by Jesus Christ, fled to a town called Pella. It's about 60 to 100 miles north of Jerusalem, and that's where they ended up going. You see, how in the world did they get out? I want you to understand. This is one of the things that Eusebius wrote. He said, the members of the Jerusalem church, by means of an oracle given by revelation to acceptable persons there, were ordered to leave the city before the war began and settle in the town in Perea called Pella. Who was that revelation given by? It was given by Jesus Christ. This is what he says, verse 16. Let those who are in where? Judea flee to the mountains. That's what he uh, gave. And the disciples, because they were there in Jerusalem, were constantly teaching on the teachings of Jesus because they were with Jesus. So at the time of this siege began, there were many, many, many Jewish Christians dwelling in Jerusalem at this time. Now, here's an interesting fact, is that after Gallus decided to leave, the Jewish zealots that were in Jerusalem at that time decided to follow them. And they followed them at a distance, but got in front of them and came to a place called Beth Horon, which had some mountains and had a pass there. Now, what happened at Beth Horon? They basically gave pursuit and they ambushed them. They set up on top of the hills and they just drained arrows down into them, rocks down into them, and then fought with them in that pass. And the soldiers with the chariots could not turn to get out, trapping them. And what happened was we had 5,000 soldiers that were absolutely decimated and 500 cavalry soldiers that were killed. Gallus barely escapes with about 40 or 50 men and returns to Rome and ends up dying in Rome just about six months later. So Nero then orders Vespasian to put down the rebellion and he orders his son Titus then to come in and complete this kind of thing. But it took three and a half years for Jerusalem to fall. While the zealots were out and they were fighting 
and they were gone, guess what it gave the opportunity for the Christians to do? They gathered together and they did what? Got out. They left and they moved towards Pella. So they actually did escape. And one of the things that we need to understand is these Christians obeyed the words of Jesus that he stated 40 years previously. Now here's an application for us. Wasn't it important for them to obey Jesus back then? It's important for us to do the same today, right? When Jesus says something to do, that's what we need to do. We need to be obedient to the words of our Lord because they are trustworthy. If we learn anything about these Jewish Christians that fled, they knew and understood what the disciples taught and they took it to heart because they knew it came from the lips of Jesus and so therefore they went and they obeyed him. When we read the word of God, dear people, understand the author of every word that we have is the Lord Jesus Christ in our scriptures. And when it says be obedient, guess what we need to be? Obedient. What happens as a result? You get to live and you get blessed. <laughs> and this is what Jesus wants us to learn, I believe, also in this. So in verse 17 and 18, though, they're told to make haste. How are they told to make haste? Listen to what he says. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in his house. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. What is he saying to them? You know what the housetops were like back in those days. Most of them flat. Most of them are almost side by side. You could literally leap from house to house to house to house. And most of the stairs were on the outside of the house. If you're on the rooftop where a lot of people went and slept or stored their goods or just went up there to eat, they have places there where they can then get down and go down the stairs. But in this case, if you're on the housetop and you see those surrounding armies, Jesus said, man, don't go down. Don't go down because you probably could get distracted. You probably could get killed. You probably un need to understand there are still things going on in the city that you don't need to be a part of. And so they leapt from house to house to house to house until they got outside of the grounds and went and left. And those who were out in the fields that saw those armies coming, they weren't to come back in and go, hey, family, time to pack. We've got a week. He said, No get going, go now. And that is exactly what they did. Now, here's the thing that we need to look and see as well. There was special concern for pregnant women and for those who were nursing because the trip was going to be hard. They were going out to some foothills and into some mountains and our Lord and Savior showed a special concern for these women. He tells us in verse 19, alas for women, who are pregnant for those who are nursing infant in those days. Why is that? Because it was difficult for them to be pregnant to make that kind of trip. But he also said, pray for your flight. It would not be in winter. Why? Trudging through snow, which does snow over there at times, trudging through these kind of cold weather makes it tough. And he says, don't do it on a Sabbath. He respected the Sabbath laws. He was saying, man, I hope it doesn't fall on the Sabbath. Because Why? The Pharisees had made up a bunch of stuff about how far people could travel on the Sabbath. And at that time, in Jesus' time, they had surmised some way, somehow, that you could travel at least 2,000 yards. But if you go 2,001, you're guilty of violating the Sabbath. 
And that's why Jesus looks at it and says, pray that it's not going to be in winter. Pray that it's not going to be on a Sabbath. Now, I want you to understand what happens next. It says, verse 21, for then shall be great tribulation. Now, here's what I want you to understand. When you see that word then, it always is in reference to something beforehand. Then. He's commenting on all this stuff. You go back to verse 2 and verse 3 after the disciples have been asking him, when's this going to happen? When's going to be the sign of the end of the age? He gives them a whole list of things and he says, then. Not many hundreds of years or thousands of years in the future. He says, then. Because the word for basically gives reason for the flight to the mountains. That's why he's saying, for then, that's why you're going to go. This is occurring in Jerusalem. It's occurring in Judea. It's local. It's visible, not something that's 2,000 years later. How do we know this? How do we know that this is not something future and it's something that is in uh, at that time? Well, Luke 20 through 20, 21, 20 through 24 says this. When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those who are inside the city depart. And let not those who are out in the country enter it, for these are days of vengeance. Notice those words. For these are days of vengeance. When you see the armies, which did happen, the Roman army surrounded them. He said, these are the days of vengeance. To fulfill all that is written, alas for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days. For there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against what people? This people. That is a time indicator, folks. A time event that says this people. He's talking about this people. Even the Pharisees, going back to Matthew 21, says they perceive that Jesus was talking about them when he was giving those woes and giving those condemnations. And so this is what Jesus is saying. This wrath is against this people. They will fall by the edge of the sword. They will be led captive among the nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Who came in to Jerusalem? It's Gentiles. Those are the ones that came in. Those are the ones that trampled upon them. And folks, if we take the futurist outlook on this, I just want you to think about this really quick, if you don't mind. One of their prime emphasis is that we are to take everything from the Scripture absolutely literal. And in fact, they will say in this, we are the only ones that believe in taking all prophecy literally. Yet when you read some of their writings, you will find out they will say, this statement does not need to be taken literally. So you have all these kind of things like this. So one of the teachings is, is that when Jerusalem in the future is surrounded by armies, it's going to be devastated because there's going to be tanks, there's going to be jets, there's going to be all kinds of military equipment that is going to come against and have this great big fight and all this other kind of stuff. But Jesus says this, they will fall by the edge of the, what? Sword. How many of you 
are in the, we're in the military. Could you raise your hand? How many of you are in the military? Did, were y'all ever assigned swords to go fight? Y'all were never, right? You didn't go fight over, overseas in Iraq, Afghanistan, wherever you fought, you screaming like a banshee Indian with a sword going in to clear out all the cities, did you? I hope not. But yet Jesus, if we're going to take this literally, that means that this future, in the future, all the army puts up all their weapons and they get out their swords. Because everybody is going to fall by the what? Sword. So therefore, if this is not this time, I don't know what it is. It says this is against this people. They will fall by the edge of the sword. And the Romans came running in and Eusebius and Josephus and Tacitus says they put to death thousands upon thousands by the edge of the sword. By the edge of the sword. So we need to understand that is this time at this place. So therefore, we need to understand this also. Jesus predicted the great tribulation once again before his death. This, folks, is what I'm trying to get you to understand or to look at or please consider that the great tribulation was then, not sometime in the future. Notice what he says in Luke chapter 23. And there followed him a great multitude of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for who? Yourselves and your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, Cover us. So, who was Jesus directing his, command, his comments to? Is the daughters of Jerusalem. How in the world do we get then that Jesus was talking 2,000 years from now? Because in the scriptures, you do not have this saying, daughters of Tarkington, daughters of Houston, daughters of San Francisco and Los Angeles, New York, Austin, Boston, wherever it may be. But he's specifically saying daughters of Jerusalem. This is you. This is what we're talking about. Weep for yourselves and for your children. As he was going on his way, carrying the cross to Golgotha, he stops and says, weep for yourselves. Weep for yourselves because Jesus knew what was going to happen to whom? Whom were they told to weep for? Themselves and their children. So this cannot refer to a final day of judgment 2,000 years later because it was directed to them and their, their children. And folks, a Southern Baptist pastor who I've read his books on this uh, by the name of John L. Bray has gone to be with the Lord now. But he makes this statement. The great tribulation was the entire three and a half years of suffering and hunger and famine and murder and desecration and death which were all taking place in those last several years of the history of Jerusalem. Now folks, why would we even call this the great tribulation? The tribulation was great because the crime that was brought on it was great. It was totally burnt. It was totally ravaged. It was totally a, a decimation of people. But 
the question still has to be asked. What was the crime that was so great? Okay, this is it. We're going to go through some scriptures. The chief priests and religious leaders, with the help of Romans, killed the Lord of glory. Killed the Lord of glory. Listen to what the scripture says. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, this is Paul writing, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. In Luke chapter 24, it says, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, the man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up and condemned to death and crucified him. Acts 3, Peter tells them this. He says, But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life who God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And so another reason that the crime was so great is because this wrath came because they crucified God, Christ, chose Caesar over Jesus. They chose Caesar over Jesus. Let's review this because we've said this before. Let me go back to this in Luke chapter 11. It says, So that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation. And from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. So God's going to pour out his wrath upon that generation that shed the blood of Jesus Christ and all of the prophets. Now, if you remember in Matthew 27, we brought this up before. It says, when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water, washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourself. And all the people answered, his blood be on who? Us and our children. Then he released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. And John records it this way. It says, It was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold your king. And they cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! And Pilate says, shall I crucify your king? And notice what they said. And the chief priests, these are the religious leaders, the big guns. We have no king but Caesar. Right there they lied. Right there they did not tell the truth. Right there they allowed Satan, the king deceiver, to deceive everyone Even at this place, what were they trying to say to these people in Rome, especially to Pilate? We don't follow anybody but Caesar, but yet they were trying to overthrow him. They were trying to get rid of the government. They were trying to get rid of everything Rome, but they wanted Jesus dead so bad, they immediately said, we have no king but Caesar. And because of that crime, because of that crime, The great wrath, the great tribulation came upon these people. As we move on to verse 22, it says, And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Now, what do we mean? What does he mean by this kind of thing? What we need to understand, folks, is that the great tribulation was not limited just to Jerusalem. To the Romans, a Jew was a Jew, and 
They did not distinguish between Jews and Jewish Christians. They didn't come around the countryside or go through the Temple Mount or go through anywhere else and say, Jewish Christian, Jew. They made no distinction whatsoever. They came and they saw and they conquered and they began north of Jerusalem and came down through the land. In fact, as we understand this under Vespasian, the Roman armies marched north, slaughtered thousands. I want to give you a few just to just look at these real quickly. In Gadara, all the youth were without mercy on any age. They say almost 15,000 young people, 20 and under, were mercilessly killed. Japaha, 15,000 were killed. Mount Gerizim, 11,600. Terakea, with 6,500 were killed. Gamala, 4,000 were killed. And 5,000 killed themselves by throwing themselves off of a cliff. We go to Caesarea, 20,000 were killed. Skyopolis, there were 13,000 killed. We go to Alexandria, 50,000 killed. Asamon, there were 10,000 killed. Giscala, 6,000 killed. Idomea, another 10,000 killed. Macurus, 1,700 killed. In other words, I only gave you just a few. The Roman armies came sweeping through and wiping out cities, total cities, leaving the bodies according to historians, piled upon one another, left in the streets where they were, could not do any kind of burial whatsoever. Everybody was dead. Some they took back in certain cities. They took back and captured them. In fact, the person I've been quoting a lot, Josephus, was from one of those towns, a Jewish historian, by the way, was captured by them, and he got in good graces with the general because he was wanting to tell them to spare his life about how he could share with them the history behind all this thing. And it fascinated the general and he kept him. And he got to record it firsthand what happened during the siege. He took Josephus with him and we see that he did some messy things. This tribulation was so severe that if God had allowed the Romans to continue to wreak habit, not only in Jerusalem, But the surrounding cities, not a single Jew would have survived. That's why it's called great. The crime was great. They rejected Jesus Christ. They said our king was Caesar. And so therefore God brought this wrath upon them. We continue to move forward. It says in verse 23 through 26, it says, If anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. So if they say to you, look, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. Now, previously, we had talked about some of those Prophets, some of those false teachers that came. We remember Simon Magus talked about, though, uh, we talked about him, that he was coming. But understand that there was one guy in particular that was in Jerusalem at the time of this when it was about to happen. And I want to show you where it is because we have to understand we know that false prophets arose, they did. But Paul, did you know Paul was thought to be a particular false prophet? Listen to what it says in Acts 21. Paul was arrested 
And as he is arrested, as it, it says, as he was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the tribune, may I say something to you? And he said, do you know Greek? Are you not the Egyptian then who recently stirred up a revolt and led the 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness? Now, let's go back and let's see what Jesus said. Verse 26, it says, so if they say to you, look, say to you, who? The false prophet. Look, he's in the wilderness. Do not go out. And here Paul has been mistaken for a false prophet who literally gathered men, an Egyptian false prophet, gathered, according to Josephus, over 20,000 men to come and to move upon Jerusalem as well to come in and help the zealots take over the city. This is what he was talking about. Jesus says this was fulfilled. But not only that, a false prophet came during the time of the siege of Jerusalem. Josephus again says a false prophet was the occasions of these people's destruction who made a public proclamation in the city that very day. This is the day when it was being pounced upon that God commanded them to get up upon the temple and that there they should receive miraculous signs of deliverance. In other words, they saw the Romans coming. This false prophet says, if every one of us go and get up on the temple and get there, God is going to come and deliver. And guess what they did? They rallied around and they zoomed into the temple according to this false prophet. And what happened in the temple? Folks, Titus did not want to burn the temple. The general did not want to burn it. But the soldiers were so greedy for the gold that was, being, was there. And as they began to set fire to the temple, the stones that even had some of the gold in them for the little mortar began to melt. They immediately kept doing it and kept doing it. And they surrounded the temple and all the people that came into the temple because of this false prophet, get up to here because we're going to have deliverance. They all perished. They all died. That's what Jesus was talking about. And it happened at that time. So folks, what do we need to understand about all of this? Okay. What do we need to understand and why are we going through this kind of thing? First of all, I believe you don't need to worry that your loved ones, once you get raptured, will go through a great tribulation. Okay? If there's not going to be a rapture, that this was something that was invented, a secret rapture in the early 1800s, if there's not going to be a rapture, then you're not going to go through a great tribulation either. Neither will if you're left, if you've gone and all those that are left behind, they're not going to go through one if this has already occurred. What you do need to be concerned about is this. The wrath they will experience if they reject Jesus as their king. The wrath that they will experience because Jesus as their king. I heard a preacher one time, his name was Rob Bell that he was doing a seminar and I was listening to it. I had to turn it off because I was, I, was, I was becoming bald for pulling my hair out. 
But the whole seminar was to college kids. And, uh, and by the way, he had started a church and he left that church when he began to declare that there was no hell. And now guess who he's become a spiritual advisor to who? Oprah, of all things. But one of the things he was teaching these college students was this, the gods are not angry anymore. The gods are not angry anymore. And what he tried to get these college kids to understand was this, that God is never angry with you. God is a God of love. And that's an Old Testament thing. That's an old pagan thing. And do not worry about the wrath of God. Folks, that was a lie out of the pits of hell, which he did not believe in anyway. And folks, understand this, that when Jesus says there's going to be wrath to come, and Paul says it in 1 Thessalonians, that there's going to be a wrath to come. Understand, although they're not going to be, I don't believe, a great tribulation, there is going to be wrath for those who reject Jesus Christ. That is why it is of, of utmost importance that we share the word of God with people. Because if they don't know that there is wrath coming, what are they being saved from? We can walk up to people and say, hey, you've been saved? And they say, saved from what? What are we going to tell them? Saved from what? Well, you know, save from your sin. Folks, understand something. Yes, it's their sin that causes this wrath of God, but what we're saving them from is the wrath of God. We're literally, if you think about this, literally, we are being saved from God to God. Now, that makes crazy sense, but that is exactly what it is. If you don't receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're going to need to be rescued from God and His wrath. And so what Jesus did was to die for our sins, so he took the wrath of God upon him so we don't have to experience it. Your loved ones who do not know Jesus Christ, your friends who do not know Jesus Christ will experience that wrath. That's why we need to be about sharing the gospel and sharing the gospel. And what else? Sharing the gospel. Folks, we've got a great time to do that. Can I, can I share with you just real quickly, and we'll close on this before we have our Lord's Supper. This is it, is that our Easter Jamboree is coming up. Our children's committee has been working hard. We're going to get all kinds of things together for people and we're inviting our community to come. It's a great way to come out and to meet some of the people in the community and be able to share the love of Christ with them so that they would not experience the wrath to come. It can be a simple thing. We're gathering together material for you and for everybody uh, that are evangelistic tracts that you can hand out to the people that come. You can also take these tracts with you wherever you go to restaurants, wherever you need to just give them to people. They work, dear friends. They work. I often will carry a million-dollar bill in my pocket when I go into a store because it attracts attention. I've got those on order for you so that you can share them. I've given out to you before, but it's a way for us to give it. It's a million dollars. It says million dollars. People get all excited when you say, hey, especially if you're a restaurant, you leave one at a table, you walk by and say, can I pay for your lunch? And you put it down and people get real excited when you, as you're walking off, they're thinking it's a really million dollars. There's no such thing as a million dollar bill. But on the back, and I always try to say this, hey guys, 
it's a million dollar bill, but there's a million dollar question on the back. Would you read it for me? And I just walk off. It's a simple way to do it. A simple way. And we have the opportunity to do those kind of things. Because why? If people reject Jesus Christ, they will face the wrath of God. And it is our responsibility and our duty to be able to say we need to witness and we need to be a part of that. And folks, I get scared every time I do. I've been doing this since I, I was about 17 years old. Going out witnessing, knocking door to door. We used to do that. I'd go out in bus ministry that, that uh, I was a part of. Um, we'd go out into shopping centers. We'd go out in different places. Our pastor who taught us all these things, he says, if the people you're knocking on are not home, go to the next door. If they're not home, go to the next door. Go to the next door. And we would do that. I've been doing this since I was 17. Do you know it still frightens me? Almost every time. Oh, it's all the fear of rejection. But I have to overcome the fear. And so do you. And if I can do it, you can do it. You can do it. But we need to share the gospel.